BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, guys, we are on the road again. We are in somewhere in Illinois. Where are we, Wes? Somewhere in northwestern Illinois. Uh, it, it is cold and it is flat up here. I know that for sure. Real in flat. the great white north. <laughs> <laughs> and it is white. It yeah, is. it was nice enough for you to put like two foot of snow. Yeah. Like, like down home, we have machines that do that. You just get it naturally. Then it turns into two inches of ice <laughs> everywhere. He didn't tell us to bring the ice skates. No, he didn't. But uh, we have uh, Wes from the YouTube channel, Watch Wes Work. First off, thanks for having us up here. Well, thanks for coming. You got, uh, got an awesome place here. We're going to learn a lot about you. I don't, we, we just met, so we don't know a whole lot about each other. So this is going to be a, a whole uh, learning experience for all of us. But from what I understand, you grew up in this area. Northern Illinois is, is home for you. Yes. So we lived... Well, we lived at several different places, but with about a year and a half ago, we moved back here to be closer to home, and it's been really nice. So you, uh, am I correct in the fact that you grew up on a farm, or your family had a farm, or? Yeah, small farm. So what, I mean, like down home, a small farm is 20 acres. I have a feeling that a small farm up here is like 20,000 acres. No, we we did livestock farming, so we had a okay. small farm, so we only had, I don't know, around 20 acres, and then we rented pasture for hay and stuff like that gotcha but we didn't have didn't have crop farming we just did livestock so uh livestock would that be uh pigs cows what cows and sheep cows and sheep yep so what i have to ask what'd you do with the sheep <laughs> well they get sheared for wool that you make in nice fuzzy socks so did and you guys actually go out and do that really well, usually we would hire a, a, a sheep shearer who come around so do you, is that something I'm, I'm asking questions because i don't know Wes. so just bear with me here <laughs> Is this like a seasonal thing, like you let them survive the winter and then you shear them off, or is it like your time for you to have a haircut? No, it, it, the, the wool never stops growing, so as soon as it gets long enough, you have to shear them, usually before the summer, because they get over, way too hot in the so, summer. So how many, we're getting way off base here, right <laughs> off the get-go, but, but how many times a year, I can't believe I'm going to ask this question, how many times a year do you shear a sheep? Usually just once. Usually just once, okay, yep. so they just get one good haircut, they're good for a year. And they're good to go. Yeah, you want them to have the nice, uh, nice wool blanket for winter, right? Because sheep don't do very well in the cold. Gotcha. And they don't do very well in the heat. So, so in the springtime, you shear them. This is a totally off-base question again. I'm going down the wrong track here. Are all sheep white? No. 
Really? Yeah, well, there's like what they call Suffolks, which are usually have the black nose and then they're white sheep. And then there's there's black Suffolks that are all black. Really? Just like pigs, there's all kinds of different breeds that are different colors. So I didn't know that either. Yeah. I, I, I grew up on a farm, but we grew corn and beans and they're... <laughs> well, they don't. Yeah, we know, we know where we're going for that. So, uh, so, anyways, you uh, grew up on the farm. You said, uh, am I correct? In both sides of your family farmed. Now, were they both livestock farmers? Uh, no, they're on my dad's side. They did pigs and cows, and then the, they did a small dairy operation for a while. Okay, and then once they, I don't know, before I was born, they got out of doing dairy and they just did pigs and and then crop farming. Okay. And then on my on the other side, it was just crops. And on my mom's side, that was more like a hobby gotcha. type of farm. Gotcha. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, grew up on the farm, and then uh, I'm assuming you went to graduate high school around here, went to school? or Yep. Um, so after, after you, you're a senior in high school, you're off to the wild, wild world. Which, which direction did you go from there? Well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. <laughs> my mom wanted me to go to art school, and my dad wanted me to go to engineering school. Go to art school? Art do, school. do we have an artistic history we don't know about? Yeah, I like art. I'm pretty interested in it. Really? Yep. I enjoy drawing, especially pencil drawings and stuff like that. See, we're learning all kinds. Of, we're, yes, we're dragging we it out of it. We're getting somewhere now. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I still like doing it. It's a little now it's harder I can, uh, to do now. I'll have to show you off camera, but I can draw one mean stick figure. I mean, you go. you're going to be impressed when this is over with. Well, you saw earlier, I can draw a mean chalk outline on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I had no, I had no idea that art was a, a passion or a history or, I mean, obviously if you were considering possibly pursuing it, it's something you were pretty uh, passionate about. It's, uh, definitely interesting. It's very hard to monetize. <laughs> So, like any creative endeavor, you know, it's difficult yeah. to make money. And we'll get to this later, though, but, I mean, I would consider YouTube a form of art. I mean, it's not drawing on a page, but you're still creating it's something. It's definitely a creative process, uh, and it's also definitely difficult to monetize, as you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, for every channel that succeeds, there's 10,000 that didn't. I would say more than that yeah. and today and and we're getting off base here but but youtube's also making it harder for that to happen so i think i read somewhere that 60 percent of all youtube videos have less than 10 views 60 percent have less than 10 that is an that is a crazy stat yeah and the amazing part is is aaron's videos are not in that 60 percent <laughs> <laughs> he makes a pretty good video i think he's had a lot of help in coaching wes hey every once in a while you get that money shot the fish to the face <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> oh you can't script that <laughs> i can still taste that fish Wes. i can still taste that fish uh, for people who don't know we'll explain hey. real quick we went uh we live around the ohio river and we have an asian carp issue and aaron and i were uh tubing behind a boat and aaron dodged a fish that jumped and smacked me in the head that thing hit me in the head and then smacked me in the back of the head four times i had slime from one end of my head to the other and his name was karma <laughs> i think he got his point across and, my, and, and my, my wife did not ask if i was okay she wanted to know if anybody got it on film She's worried about the fish <laughs> worried about the fish them. okay yeah. oh that was that, that was not art that was definitely not art so for sure um but anyways so you're at this crossroads you graduated high school i think most people in the world can relate to you. I, was, I think I'm one of the oddballs that really knew what I wanted to do. 
but uh, you're you're in the real world now. You don't. Isn't it kind of weird whenever you like you're, after your senior year, all your friends go back to school and you don't. And you're like, I don't know if you're lost, but it's like a reality check. I guess would be the best way to put sure. it. So, so you got engineering, you got art. Did you choose one of those two? Yep, I, did, I took the engineering path. So I did. I did two years at a community college. Okay. So I could live at home, save money, work full, more or less full time while I was doing that. And then two years after that, I graduated and went to a university. So and what? Got my bachelor's uh, degree there. What uh, are we doing? Mechanical engineering is that is that the road we're going down? So what yes, is, is? I mean, I got <clears> some <throat> friends in the in the uh, engineering world. I know it's so vast. So is there like a little niche market that you were trying to go go towards? Yeah. So my specialty or emphasis, as they call it, was in controls and automation. Okay. So I took a lot of, I don't know, control theory classes like that. Not really about electronics, but more about stuff nobody cares about, second-order systems and stuff like that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this time frame you're probably doing this, you know, the robots and automations kind of becoming more and more popular, more and more of the mainstream, correct? Sure. Also, one of my professors was, uh, he had designed printers. Really? And, you know, so he knew a lot about automation from that. Uh, I had another guy who was probably my favorite professor. He had done, what was his project? He was a fascinating guy. He had a bachelor's degree in civil engineering. He had a master's degree in naval architecture. And he had a PhD in electrical engineering. Really? And he, his project or his passion was to capture energy from waves. And he had designed this project. I think it's off the coast of Scotland. And it's like these pontoons that I've float seen, on the I've water. I've seen YouTube videos And of each those. joint has a generator, basically, and it captures electricity from the motion of, of water. Of the ocean. Huh. I, well, it? that's, uh, I can see the benefits of that if you can sure. keep it from getting washed away and, he was and maintaining all that. Interesting guy. I had one, <laughs> I had one professor in college as well that I kind of gravitated to. Like, you could pick him out as the one that actually had the real-world experience versus the guy that just... He got taught from a book, and he's teaching you from a book, and it sounds like your guy was kind of the same one. I think the big thing for me was he had a sense of humor, yeah. which that's a, that really helps me relate to people. I know he... Makes you personable. Yeah, we had a project where we had to design a stabilizer system so that when you're walking, you could carry something and it would stay stabilized. And the way he introduced the project was by showing us a clip of the, a Monty Python sketch about the Ministry of Funny Walks. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never seen Monty Python before. You know, I was 20 years old or whatever, right. and it just blew me away. <laughs> but it, but it, it gave you it gave you the real world connection to that project, which is hard to do sometimes. It's exactly. Hard to, it's uh it's hard to hard to convey. I think you and I both struggle with that a little bit with the videos. Is you know what you want to say, you know what you want to do, but how to present that to where it comes across right and people actually understand it is even worse is when it comes out of your mouth and it sounds like it's making sense. And then you listen to it later and you think, that doesn't make sense at all. Uh, I'm going to get off base here. How many times you went in to edit stuff and you're like, oh man, I got to change back into those clothes and go refill mine. <laughs> More times than I can count. Yes. That's why I keep a dirty pair of pants in the laundry room, you know, just in case I got to go redo something. And I'm thinking, I can't type out that much, you know, to correct what I'm saying on the camera. Sometimes voiceover is your best friend. You yeah, know, that's I know. what I was getting ready to say. That's his best friend. I think that's what he does a lot. The yeah. voiceover. I think I only ever did voiceover on one video. No, my goodness and uh you're so much better than i am man because 
I don't know. I like watching voiceover videos. There's several guys that do a really good job with that. Robin Renzetti, he has a great machining-related YouTube channel where he does almost all voiceover. Uh, one of my favorite channels, Vcore, he re- rebuilds cars, and most of his videos are voiceover. voiceover. And he does a really good job with it. But personally, I find that you by having to record it in real time, it has an authenticity that yep, you can't you get. get. The, uh, emotion of the, the emotion of the time or the emotion of the event or whatever. I, I, I do it to correct myself or to fill in something I forgot, um, but uh, I, I try to refrain from it as, as much as possible. But uh, right. I, I get exactly what you're saying. So, uh, well, back to our timeline of Wes's life here, because this is way more interesting than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> he's, been, <laughs> yes, he's, been hold, he's been holding out on us. Yeah, he has. So uh, you're, you've got two years at community college. Now you're going to a university. Mm-hmm. Boy, see, I never made it to the book school. I never made it past the community college. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. I graduated from college in 2007. It was the greatest time in this country. Anybody could get a job doing anything they wanted to. The economy was never better than 2007. Literally, I mean, everybody that I went to school with got a job. Right. Most of us had multiple interviews, you know, multiple offers. You know, the, had we, had, the world, we had the world by the tail. The world by the tail. <laughs> and I'll... I'll tell you, I had a job offer from a little company called Transocean. They are a drilling contractor in Houston, and they very famously, one year after offering me a job, operated a drilling rig called the Deepwater Horizon, oh, yes. causing the largest oil spill in recorded history. So I dodged that bullet. I did not accept that job. I took the safe route and went into the automotive industry. <laughs> <laughs> and you might know what came in 2008 yeah. to the automotive industry, a reckoning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had reality. Check. I had about nine good months where I really thought I had done something right. And, and then, then it was suffering for yeah. a couple of years. I didn't get laid off, but it was. we took a pay cut. We had all the kinds of contract people that worked with us who just disappeared overnight. Right. All of our projects got canceled. And it was it just... It really made me question if I had made the right choices in life. I, I had the great idea to start a business in 2008 in the housing slump and decided to build. And that's how I kind of got forced into custom housing because I couldn't make it excavating. So I'd start putting basements in. Well, this ICF stuff, you know, I, I couldn't put a basement in because nobody else wanted to build a house on top of it. So now I'm building a house on top of it just so I can do the basement job. And it just keeps, I don't want to say it snowballed out of control, but it kind of forced me down a route that I wasn't fully committed to, but it's what I needed to do to, to make ends meet, which is kind of what it sounds like you were doing. Well, it really opened my eyes that I, I really needed to have a backup plan <laughs> because, you know, being people from my generation, we were told, you know, you go to school, you get good grades, you work hard, you go to college, get a job, we're going to take care of you. Right. And, you know, I lived up to my part of that bargain, but through no fault of my own, ended up yeah, you bring up kind of on a, the wrong side of it. You bring up a very good point. In whenever I graduated school, I graduated high school in two thousand. I think you're a few years younger now. Two thousand three, yeah. Two thousand three. But um, I've talked about this several times on the channel and, and even in a few podcasts. But if you weren't in, if you weren't planning to go to a four year university, um, you were almost looked down on. You know it. Um, I don't know how to explain that, but um, I never had intentions to go to a four-year university. I always wanted to go into the trades, and I feel like it's taken 10 or 15 years to finally tr- finally change that a little bit, but I feel like we're finally now getting back to supporting the trades and not looking down on people in the trades because we need people to do what we do. Sure. That's what makes the world go around. Yeah, when I was in high school, 
and I'm still bitter about it today. We had a, our school was set up on an eight block schedule. So you had four classes a day for two hours at a time. And if you wanted to take vocational classes, you had to go to another school, a vocational school. You had to get on a bus and drive there. And I wanted to do that. And I wanted to take college prep classes. And it just, it's like it blew people's minds. Right. What do you mean? You want to do both? Yeah. And uh, they purposely, I think, purposely set it up so you couldn't do both. Because a lot of college prep classes were only offered in the morning, and that's when the vocational school. Vocational school was. There was time in the, if you looked at the way that the, you know, the requirements that were required for you to graduate, there was time built in the schedule for you to do both. But they had configured it in such a way that it was impossible. Well, I also find it interesting, you know, sitting here around the table, I went to a two, I got a two years associate's degree, so basically a community college within reason. Uh, you got a four-year degree. He, uh, Aaron, uh, man behind the scenes, you took the, the bullet maker and union route, yeah. which you basically got an associate's we degree. The, yeah, we went through the apprenticeship. Through the apprenticeship, through the apprenticeship, we got offered the associates. We could go ahead and get an associate's degree through that. So that's the route I went. Now, there's, I a, went there's an hour requirement to an apprenticeship, right? So you have to have documented you gotta, hours. Yeah, you've got to have hours. And, and the way ours was set up was four years, but you had to have so many hours. You had to have basically... A thousand hours a year is what we had to have. Uh, you didn't get that. It was kind of like a, any kind of schooling. You just get held back, have to do six months or right. however many hours you're missing. You had to do more or less makeup time, I guess you could say. But yeah, it was it was the same way. It was offered. The associates was offered. So yeah, that's the route I went. Which I just got a GED. I can't. That seems like a no brainer though to so. get the associate's degree well yeah he got he got paid good money the whole time he was going yeah. to school you yeah. know what i mean but, but the the point of the conversation is, is we all three we all three took different routes but we're still kind of in the same industry doing the same thing so uh it's okay to take different routes to get to get here not everybody has to follow the same the same path right and i think there's i don't know if there's maybe a stigma about that like i don't feel like i've gone backwards in any way no. Well, the, the the story I like telling all the time is um, I've got a banker back home, and we had this conversation one day. He, he's got six or seven years of schooling, and he sees people's P&Ls every day. And he goes, you guys, you guys make more money than I ever thought about, man. You don't have student loans. You don't have to do this. But at the end of the day, it's not about the money. It's what do you enjoy doing? You know, you got to enjoy spending your time. you got to be passionate about what you're doing. And, and I want my doctor to go to four years of college plus. I want <laughs> right. my lawyer. I mean, I want my dentist. I mean, there, there's people that that's what they want to do, and that's what they need to do. But there's also people that don't want to do that, and that's what they need to do. Right. They don't need to be forced down a route they don't want to go. Well, I'm not saying that my career path is something that should be a template for other <laughs> young people. And I'm certain that it makes no but, sense to anybody but, but me, but it works out for me. But I think your career path is very relatable because it's, it's, uh, I think more people than you think have probably followed a similar path of, of going down a couple of different roads, kind of figuring out where you need to be and, uh, and ended up in a, a pretty good place, you know? Sure. I mean, I did my time in the corporate prison and, uh, I'm done with that, you know. This is much better. This is uh, much better. I know for a fact I can make more money working for somebody else. Of course. I'm not going to do it. Every day. That brings up a good point, and I think you'll vouch on this one, is just because you're self-employed does not mean you're rich. Nope. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, times can get very lean. (laughs) I don't believe either one of you. (laughs) I'll tell you a story. When I got married, well, it took us... 
took us three years to get married from the time we got engaged to the time we got married, mostly because I was completely broke and we couldn't afford to have a wedding. Your, your wife is much more patient than I mine. I know. And we, uh, <laughs> I was so broke before we got, got married. I actually sold some firewood to buy a suit to wear to my own <laughs> wedding. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, but looking back on it, it's probably some of the best times of your life so far. I mean, I know you've yeah, got was, a lot more life to live, but no, it was it's, great. It's, it's, you know, a simpler life and, and everything like that. And money, money is not happiness. No, but I mean, it was, that was a bad time and we, I had to make some changes and we did that and things turned around. So, um, <clears throat> you, did you graduate with a four year degree from the university? That's impressive. Wes could, <clears throat> excuse me. That's uh, so you got a four year degree in mechanical engineering. Yeah, you. I guess you alluded to you took the job in the automotive industry. Now, was this actually engineering, or was this? Uh, so this was an actual engineering job. Yep. Uh, did you work for one of the big three, or? It's a major company that you've heard of. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, fair enough. What I mean, I got a I got a cousin that worked for Ford in engineering. I mean, was like I knew always he was always working on a project. Is there something relatable that we would recognize, or? Uh, probably not. Okay. I worked more on the tooling side. Gotcha. So more in the. How do how do you make this piece this guy designed and wanted to uh, wanted to go? So, were you were you forced out of that because of the recession? Is that what? Um, well, let's put it this way: I was unhappy working there. Okay, it's it's not clear to me whether that was their fault or whether that was the economy's fault. Right. So, if the recession hadn't come around, I think I probably would have had a lot better time there. Gotcha. So, I was unhappy there, but I, I think that was more to do with circumstances that were beyond anybody's control than the actual job itself plus you know we had some relationship problems my wife and i were trying to do a long distance relationship and it was not working yeah that's uh uh yeah and that's way more important than any job so yeah yeah absolutely so uh whenever you i guess you left said company and i know well it took me almost three years to leave there because there (laughs) were You know, in 2010, nobody could get a job. Right. It was impossible. There were so, no jobs. So did you, did, did you always intend on, I guess one question should I, I should ask at this point was, was, was Mrs. Watch West work in the, in the, in the picture at this point? So you guys had met somewhere along the lines and she was kind of tagging along. Right. We, we've, I've known her since I was 14 years old. Really? Yep. So you guys we are went, high school sweethearts? We went to the same high school. We, we were kind of, we kind of dated a little bit in high school, nothing serious. But then, you know, once we got out and we're in college, that's when it kind of kind of escalated. So I'm a, obviously, I'm assuming from that conversation, she's from the same area here. You guys yep. know known each other. And so everything. both of our families are right here in this area. Gotcha. Which now, is now really she also nice. got a four year degree, yes. correct as well. She's um she's got a degree in math education. Math education. She's oh, a boy. math teacher. That's better. I'm glad she's not English. She'd probably be all over me. <laughs> <laughs> I can do math. I can't do English, Wes. No, she can't write or spell. <laughs> <laughs> She'll never see this. <laughs> I love her, but she can see the terrible both, spelling. Oh, I, I bet you, I bet you, I got her beat. So I, I can. She may have found the person. I can make. Her, I can make her look good. I can't spell I, Wes. <laughs> Everybody watches my channel is very well aware of that. They tell me all the time. I'm yep. like, I know. I don't care. It's me. It's who I am. You they know? will certainly correct. This you. is not an English channel. Okay, <laughs> trust me. This is not an English channel. Um, 
So you guys had already had a relationship. She's doing her college thing. You're doing your college thing. Obviously, you got the job. And and so we're anywhere in here. Did you have the dream to be self-employed or get back to mechanicing, or were you kind of forced into it? Or I would say it goes more like this. Like if there's people who you know this is their passion, they just want to do this thing, and they're trying to find a way to make that into a business. Right. I think for me it was more like, what can I do as a business that. Number one, I'm interested in. And number two, that I can do as a person who doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a lot of resources. Low entry cost. Yeah, doesn't know a lot of people, you know, because I'm kind of a hermit or whatever. And that I can, you know, I can be self-employed and have some freedom. And that's what I settled on. So I guess did you make the conscious decision to, um, to, to like, I'm quitting today and I'm going out on my own or did you kind of work your way into it or no, it was a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> so I, after I left my automotive job, I got a job at, at a foundry and they called it a manufacturing engineer, but basically my job was to program CNC machines. Okay. So I would write code for these machines and then I would design fixtures that would hold parts so that they could, they could be machined as quickly as possible. And I was pretty good at that. And I started buying machines like what we used in the shop yeah because so you're I familiar had, with them yep so i had bought some old cnc machines i bought an old tree journeyman 325 which maybe one person out there knows what that is <laughs> i was gonna say I'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna assume it's some sort of early uh hall cnc style yeah setup. It, exactly and uh, I, I rented a little shop and i squirreled that away because i you know i always want to be working and tinkering and doing stuff and like well, i said and back then you didn't those machines outside of a production factory weren't very common so that I mean, that's kind of a pretty good little find or stash, I guess, to put that into perspective a little bit. Right. And, the, you know, there's not a whole lot of information about them out there. so And very few people know how to do what you did at that time, which was programming. Right. So anyway, I bought those machines and stocked, stuffed them away in that little shop. And I would, you know, go work on them and work, do various things. And I started kind of on the side doing machining work. And what happened is... We decided we wanted to get married, my wife and I. And at this time, we were still living two hours apart from each other. So, was this because she was still in school, or did she have a job? She had gotten a job after school, and she liked her job. And I was kind of indifferent about my job because right. I didn't really care. And it was I figured it would be easier for me to get another job than her to get another job. So I decided I would quit my job and move back to this area. And we could be in close proximity and... That would be the end of that. You're, you're getting to the age at this point. You're settling down, getting a little more of a higher priority. Yeah, I, I was 27, I think. And uh, <laughs> I gave my two weeks notice. And one week into my two weeks notice, she got laid off from her job. No way. What? Oh, my goodness. Well, she's a teacher, so she was still able to finish out the year. So it was, I think I gave my notice in February. It was right after my birthday. I turned 28, gave my notice. And then she had until... April to right. finish out that year. So we had a little time where she would still be making some money. So I thought, well, I got these machines. I know how to do this work. I've already quit my job. Right. You're committed. What if I could just use these machines to do the same kind of work that I'm doing at this other place? And, uh, yeah, that's what we did. I, I actually, <laughs> so in the span of about three weeks, I borrowed some money, bought another machine, Signed a lease on a new shop, 
bought some software, canceled the lease on my old shop, and started moving everything into this new space. And we were going to go go you, big. You were going to commit. Yeah. Uh, and then, so what I wanted to do was to build machining fixtures. Like, that's what I did at my old job. I yep. knew how to do that really well. I knew what those what it cost to build one of those. I knew, you know, where to get parts for them and all that stuff. Yeah. That's what you're familiar with. And so she, she moved down there with me and we did that for, I don't know, four years, something like that. So you had success with this then? Yes. But the problem was, the problem was I never was able to get the work that I wanted to get. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, so there wasn't a lot of choosing what kind of work I could yeah, get. Yeah, you had to take whatever come through the door. Right. And w- what I could get was production work, and I just I hated doing yeah, it. Yeah, because it's so monotonous. One after Very monotonous. Uh-huh. And I, I'm not the kind of person that can do production work either. Like, that's a skill. Yeah. And that's a skill that I don't have. Yep, I agree with and that 100%. I, I just can't do it. If I start doing production work, I, I zone out and I make mistakes. And I think you're a lot like me. My attention span is not long enough for it. Like once I master, like once I make that first piece and master how to do it, I'm good. And it's like the challenge is over. You know what I mean? It's But it's weird because my attention span is indefinite for things that I'm interested in. But for things like that, yeah. I just can't no, stay focused. I, I get that. Uh, I and get I'm very that. jealous of people who can. Because, like I said, that's a that's a skill that is marketable, right? And I don't have it. That's like my brother, my one brother. He he's the exact opposite of me. Like you put him on a line making a part. That's all he wants to do is just sit there and slam out part after part after part. And, and I cannot. I am not wired that way. Right. Not wired that way. But you you bring up a good point in business. I want to hit on real quick, especially whenever you're getting started off. Is you always get the comment of Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Or and you, you get forced down this road of taking these jobs that are, you have to, like a production-style job, and then the, the dang job you want walks through the door, and you can't because you're committed on this, and it's such a juggling act yep. to you get, keep... You get so busy doing the work that you can get that you forget to look for the work that you want. Right, and then whenever it does show up, you you're, you got yourself so backlogged down a hole you didn't want to be just because you're afraid you can't pay bills that... Um, I don't know, I, I find that even today a little bit to be a struggle, you know, like in March of this year... Nobody knew what was going to happen with this virus, and I wasn't saying no to anything. Well, here I am in 2021 trying to finish up jobs I promised in September of 2020 because who knew what was going to happen? So, And what, what happens with the production work, too, is like you bid the job, you get the job, you make the job, and then you're kind of in. Yep. And once you start doing it, as long as you don't screw up, you just keep making these parts over and over again, and it's really hard to turn that off. Yep. Because people, you know, it's hard work to find somebody to, to, to do that for you. Price is a big influencer in, in production, but relationships trumpet. You know what I mean? It's like once somebody can just call you and they know if I, they call and say, Wes, I want a hundred of these, and they know they're going to be right, they're willing to pay 50 cents more just because there's no aggravation to go along with it. And you know what? We did well doing that. Like, I built a business that was successful. We made money. I had five CNC machines, a full-time employee at one point in time, but I just, I hated doing production work. <laughs> I hated it. So was that what kind of was the demise of that? Was you got burnt, you, you just got burnt out? Yeah. So my out, my out was re- repair work. So what happened is when I, when I started the machining business, I didn't have any money. Still don't, but I really didn't have any money back then. And I needed capability, so I would buy these broken machines older stuff that had, you know, had been neglected or whatever. 
And, and then these are machining machines, correct? Yep, CNC machines that would make parts, and then I would buy them broken and fix them and use them. And I figured out that I liked doing that a whole lot more than I liked using them. <laughs> and I was pretty good at well, it. Well, it's probably because it was a new challenge on each one, you know? Every one of them's different. And they're, they're loaded with electronics to the hilt, and that scared everybody away. And I liked that part of it. Right. So, yeah, I got a lot of experience fixing machine tools just from my own, for my own personal needs. Of necessity. Yeah. And then I kind of fell, fell over into a, an opportunity to do that as a contractor for a big company. And it's hard to find people to do that kind of work. It's hundred percent right. travel and you need to be really, you really need to know what you're doing because when you call somebody to come in and fix your machine, that's a huge cost. Right. And not, not, it's a huge cost for having the guy in there, but it's also a huge cost from the downtime because they wouldn't have you there unless it was an emergency to start with. So what I'm getting at is if you come in there and you don't know what you're doing, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble because the expectations are here. But if you can come in there and pull pull off a miracle, you're a hero. You're a hero. Yeah. And that's a great feeling. And the checkbook's open. It's a fantastic, (laughs) these companies will pay anything. Yeah. You know, and I know that feeling. I've had stuff broken before, and like it's just like if I could just get this thing to run, <laughs> yeah. you know, a couple more hours, yeah. just make that last order, you know. And uh, anyway, so I got hooked up with this company that needed traveling repair people, and it was like a whole new world opened up. Oh, I hit the mic. No, I you're fine. Up. You're fine. No, you're good. All right, uh, and that was cool. Pretty soon, I was traveling all over the country fixing machine tools, and. You know, it was intimidating because I'd never seen this stuff before, right, a lot right. of it. But the similarities were so close the, the, to the stuff that I did know that it was no problem. The basic concept was still the same. And what I learned is that there's other people that were doing this this same kind of job, and they were all just like me. They're all kind of weirdo, independent people. And uh, you found your found your little niche. Yeah, there. every once in a while, I'd run into one of those guys, and we'd get along great, and it was a lot of fun. So, did you shut down the the other business at this point so you just you closed the door no that would have been the smart thing to do (laughs) (laughs) instead what i tried to do was to do both so i still had my full-time employee so i i would let him so he's back running production yep i would let him do the production work and then i would take off for the whole week and go do repair work and you can imagine how sustainable that was yeah it's it's hard to find good employees (laughs) he was no he was a fantastic employee it's just it's not the same you know, there's things you can't turn over to an employee. You know, he right. couldn't order materials. He couldn't, you know, there were certain jobs he couldn't set and, up. And, and if of, he had questions, it was difficult to get answers from me. And it's, um, and out of respect to him, I mean, he can't make decisions on the fly. You could if you were there. Right. And, you know, when you're working in big factories or whatever, a lot of times you can't have your phone with you or, right. you know, if you could, you couldn't talk on it anyway. You got a right. stamping press hammering yeah. away and right next to you. So that's not a sustainable thing to do. So we did that for almost a whole year. And then I just said, that's enough's enough. We can't keep doing it. Pulling the plug on it. Unfortunately, what happened at that time was the machine tool repair thing and fell off a cliff too. So then I was kind of stuck again. So you, (laughs) you got some impeccable timing. (laughs) I'm telling you, like I said, don't think of this as an enviable path. <laughs> but, but it's, I, it's more but, of a what not to do. So you're uh, so just you're... stay in school, go get a job, <laughs> work at that job, focus on one thing. 
So you're, uh, I guess you're out on the road doing the repair thing, and you're thinking, okay, this is going good, so let's shut down that. So you shut down that, and then all of a sudden that stops. So now you're back and twiddling your thumbs again. Yes, sir. Which, you know, that would probably be a problem for most people, but whatever. Right, right. Well, yeah, you, you know, just... There's... I started with nothing and <laughs> ended up right about there. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Well, they always say, yeah. So uh, is it, I guess you're, you're back home, you're off the road. Um, somewhere in here we end up uh, expanding the family a little bit, didn't we? Is that about this time as well? Yeah, so I stayed on the road the whole time my wife was pregnant, which was rough. Right. And then I think... She didn't really say it, but when my son was born, it was kind of understood that maybe I should stick around a little more. Well, and I mean, I'm sure you probably wanted to be around more. I know you got to do what you got to do to provide for your family, but if you had a choice, you right. wanted to be here as well. And it's not like we're talking about some life-changing amount of money that I was making doing this work, you know? <laughs> it, it paid well. Aaron knows about, you know, working right. in the field. It oh, does yeah. pay well, but it, it comes at well. a cost. Yep. Uh, so you come in off the road. Is this when we started going down the mechanic and shop route at this point? So, yeah. Um, so I, I had thinned the herd out in my shop, you know, as far as the machine tools go and just started winding that back because I wasn't as interested in it anymore. So I got rid of the CNC stuff and I kept the manual machines, which I still have today. Right. And then started looking around for more just mechanic type work that I could do in my shop. No, I think it's um, we, we should back up a little bit and point out is um, your dad was um, had a mechanic shop, so you're familiar with this growing up. You had a little bit of the business model or what it took to do some mechanicing and stuff, and so it wasn't completely foreign to you to go from machining to mechanicing. Yeah, so I didn't invent this winding, treacherous path, career path. <laughs> My dad did the same thing, so I more or less followed him. <laughs> so. You know, that brings up a good point, though, is you can, I mean, your, your dad could have sit here and had this conversation with you, but until you live it yourself, you you don't understand it. You know, and it's so funny, like when I was in high school, you know, all I wanted to do was not what my dad was doing. <laughs> like, it didn't make any sense to me. I just thought, why why doesn't he go out and get a job? He'd make more money. He'd be happier. That's what all my other friends' dads do. Right. You know, this doesn't make any sense to me. And it didn't make any sense to me at all. Makes perfect sense Makes now. Makes perfect sense now. No, no, that's... Hey, I did. I, I kind of adventured off and tried something different, and now I'm following my dad's footsteps with <laughs> Mr. Dirt Perfect here. I always love telling this story. So his grandpa and his dad are probably two of the best-known operators in our area. Like, they were known to be the guys. And I'm getting there. And... Um, Aaron, Aaron didn't go down the operator path. They were both in the union operators, so Aaron went down the bullet maker path, which we should point out was you applied for about four different unions, yes, and the, bu- yes, the bullet makers were the first one to call them, so that's why you went that yeah. route. But we were out repairing the lake dam one day, and for people who don't know on an excavating job, driving a roller and a dump truck are like the two most entry-level jobs you can get. It goes back to that skill that we're talking <laughs> so, about. So Popeye, his dad, is standing up on the dam as we're working, and he goes, it's a good thing that boy knows how to weld. <laughs> it's kind of like the repetitious stuff you do you know it it takes a special skill to be able to do that and it's just like that roller or dump truck it's it takes a special skill and i got that skill but i think it makes i think you make a good point though which is that you can't expect to be a master of every trade yeah yeah, the old, what's the old saying? Uh, jack of all trades, master of none. And it, 
part of what you see on my YouTube channel. I, I kind of dip a toe into a lot of things, and a lot of times it's things I probably shouldn't be dipping right. my toe into. But the only way you learn is, is do. You know, that's you got to get yeah. your hands in there, get dirty, and, and get it figured out. So, But, but what I want to say is that, you know, things I do, like there's things I do on my channel where, like, that's a whole trade, you know? And people spend their whole whole careers mastering, that, yeah, mastering those trades. That, yeah. right. and, and you're just trying to dabble your toe in it up to get through a project. And you can't expect that you're going to be as successful as somebody who's done who has all that experience. Right. It's not reality. Yeah. Remember this. I like what he's saying. <laughs> well, that's what I, what I mean I, is that you can't. I, I can see this podcast it's... now, Wes. He's going to cut the clips out. He just wants, <laughs> and then he's going to put a playlist together. Wes, I like you, man. You're you're on my side. I can see it right now. I'm just saying you can't expect a guy to be a, a master boiler maker and a master operator because a person only has so many hours in their life, to, right? To learn to learn the skills, and you're exactly right. You know, it's just like Weldon. I can get by Weldon. I can't compete with him. I mean, it's. It's a whole other level, and, and and the opposite goes with excavating. You know, he can he can move a dozer from point A to point B, but I can actually put dirt on the plate. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, it uh, yeah, so. it's crazy. There, there's a guy here in town who's a, a master welder, and the the amount that he knows that's beyond what I know about welding it's, is unbelievable. It's just like anything else. There's it, on the surface, it all looks the same, but there is so much to it. I mean. He talks over my head so often, I just nod and act like I know what I'm talking and about. And the confidence that people have when they really have mastered that skill <laughs> is... Un- One time when I was a kid, well, kid, I was in college, I was working in a truck repair shop, and I had a, I had an air conditioning junction block off of a semi-truck. It was an aluminum casting, and it had a real thin aluminum tube that came out of it, and they were probably pressed together in the factory, and uh, they broke, fatigued off and broke. I took that to that welding shop. These guys an aluminum welding specialist. I set it on the bench and I said, can you weld that? He says, we're going to find out. <laughs> and I mean, he took, a, he took an acetylene torch. He preheated the aluminum block. He fired up an ancient Airco Heliarch machine that came over on the arc that the Mayflower <laughs> was welded together with this thing. Put on a helmet, bzz, buzzed a perfect welder on that thing. Really? Took him about five minutes. Insane. It's hard to appreciate his true tradesman. It, it, I mean, it's amazing what a a guy that knows his knack or knows his trade is what it, what they're capable of. I mean, so. I think I'm pretty sure I said out loud that can't be welded. I've said that a few times, and that that usually turns into I a challenge. I dislike when I hear that. Yeah, <laughs> I did have one thing you never could fix welding. What? It was the steering hole. The ste- no. We're going to argue about this, Wes. No, we're not going to argue. We are going to argue about it. Is it still moving? It's not on there. I took it <laughs> off. It's still moving because your weld's not on there. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother. It did. That's it a whole did. Nother, No, yeah, it didn't. We're not getting that's this. A is about Wes. This ain't yeah, about it's me about Wes. It's not about your screwed up. Your one screwed up weld in life. I have video evidence. So. Thank you for saving me again, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is about Wes. You, you just need to back up here a second. So, uh, you're back to mechanic, and now you're still in the same shop that you had the machine shop in. Is this also about the same time you thought, well, why don't I break a camera out? Or are we already doing a little YouTube at this point? I think I started doing the YouTube. Around about the same time I started that the that the machine tool repair deal was tapering off. Okay. Because now I had some time because I wasn't on the road anymore. And my son was born 
And if you didn't know anything about little kids, you got to spend a lot of time with them. Right. And there's a lot of time that you spend with them where you can't really do anything. Maybe that's where I went wrong. I was supposed to spend time with them. (laughs) No. Well, you know, I mean, they're taking a nap or they go to bed early or whatever. And my wife was getting her master's degree. And so she would take. You have a little bit of downtime while you're being a parent. She would take night classes and I would be home alone. It's just me and the dog and the kids asleep or whatever. And uh, YouTube was something that could fill that time. So that's kind of where I got into it. So did you start off as a, as a fan watching YouTube and thought maybe I could do this? Or did you say, I have some information that may help somebody, so let me post it? Or was it kind of a combination of all of the above? I think it was both. And, it, you know, YouTube was a lot different back then four years ago. Everything was a lot smaller. And, you know, at, I wasn't aware of anybody making a living from YouTube at that time. I See, don't know if it, people were. That, maybe that, they could. That statement intrigues me so much because uh, I've only been familiar with YouTube for two years. There's been a lot of changes, but the platform's kind of stayed the same. But I hear you guys and Wade and, and Tim and a bunch of other ones talk about this huge transition about four or five years ago. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's correct. <clears throat> like, there's all kinds of people now who make a living from YouTube, mm-hmm. but and maybe they were doing it at that time, but I wasn't aware of it. Right. It, you know, it was. But you didn't get into YouTube with the intentions of making any money or being famous or having sponsors or, or any of that. It was more of a hobby. No, I made over 100 videos without making a single penny. Really? Wow. So what happened with me was I started doing YouTube and, you know, moderate success. Not nothing crazy. Just like everybody else, it's a slow progression. Right. And then they had the what they called the apocalypse that came around. Yep, and that was with the uh, cutie pie incident, wasn't it, where they started regulating the monetization and all that stuff? Right, and I was, I had been eligible to do monetization before that, but I never did it because, like, I looked at the analytics of what I was going to make, and I thought, this isn't worth it. the time. Do I care about making $50 a month? You know, it doesn't, didn't matter to me. Wasn't worth the extra effort. Right, and then, you know, when it kind of looked like maybe I could make some money, then I couldn't because I couldn't get through that they had blocked people from being able to sign up for the AdSense. AdSense program, which for people who don't know, YouTube is owned by Google. So a YouTube creator gets paid through a, what they call Google AdSense, which is kind of their marketing thing that runs YouTube. Does that make sense? Right. So from the time that I actually applied for that until I was accepted, I think it was eight months. Holy cow. And then I know other channels that were in the same boat. Steve Summers, that's a channel that I watch. He was in the same boat as so me. So bad timing has just struck Wes again. Wowzers. <laughs> it's a cautionary tale, people. <laughs> Wowzers. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, you know? Who cares? So was this about the time your channel, was your channel growing pretty rapidly at this point, or was it still just kind of No, but up? it was growing. It was growing. And it seemed like it was going to, it seemed like I had beaten the, the hump. Okay. So you, you, know so I mean? you kind of broke out of the beginner's level and you were starting to get up into the... Because you see a lot of channels like that. You know, I had maybe, let's say, 5,000 subscribers or something like that. And that's kind of like a hump, right? Because right. a lot of people, they never get to that point and then they just kind of they maybe yeah. do it as a hobby or they, or they give up altogether. Right. And uh, yeah, once I got above that hump, it seemed like it was going to go somewhere. You seen it had potential had potential so because i didn't even know if i could do it you know right because it's not a natural thing to pick up a camera and point it at yourself no it's that's uh, not a thing that people know, are conditioned to do yeah and i'm glad you bring that up 
because I, I'm I'm right there. I'm right there at that that hump. We're talking about that five thousand mark. And it's like ah, you know, am I gonna make it? Is it? It's kind of work. like that point where you you got to commit or not commit. Like, okay, yeah. I can do this. Am I going to put the effort into it, or or do I not like the experiment I started and I'm going to walk away from it? But listening to your life story, I think I am going to stick it out. <laughs> I ain't giving up. <laughs> he didn't, I we, mean, he didn't know he's a motivational speaker. No, I didn't. I'm finding out now. <laughs> well, I just if there's anything that I want to accomplish on my YouTube channel, it's not to put rose-colored glasses on things. Right. Like, this is what really happened, Keep you know? Reality, yeah. I don't always have the answers, and I, think and I don't always make the best decisions. I think decisions. that's part of the reason why you've been successful is what you is, because it's, it's uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, the successes, the failures. It's all it's all right there as it unfolded. I think sometimes my luck's so bad that people think it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I can't believe it's that bad. <laughs> but that's okay. Just roll with it. So I guess the channel started off with the uh, machinery repair videos, machining machine repair videos, and then it transitioned into the mechanic and shop videos. Is that correct? Yeah, and also a lot of the, the viewers that I have who have been with me for a long time, they really wax poetic about those old machine repair videos, but there weren't that many. I think I only made like maybe a dozen videos about that topic. And then I was doing stuff like what I do now way back then. Way back then. So <clears throat> you climbed over the 5,000 subscriber hump and you kind of thought, hey, I'll put some effort into this and keep going. So, uh, I mean, how long after that? Or like, was there, was there a time where you thought, well, this was my big break in YouTube or, I, or you finally broke through? Because you kind of took off. Well, what? a couple of things happened that I think were good from my channel growing slowly. Number one, I was able to learn how YouTube worked before the stakes were really, really mattered. High, right. And I, I learned that YouTube is very seasonal and that after Christmas, everything falls off a cliff. Right. And that during the summertime, a lot of times your views are really low because people are busy. They're out doing they got, stuff. They got a million things vying for their attention. YouTube's the last thing they're paying attention to. And then in the fall, when things start to slow down and the holidays are coming up, that's the time where your channel can grow. That's the time when you can make money if you're into making money. Right. And I learned all those things before. The trends. Bef yeah, before the, the channel started to, to really grow. So I, once things took off, I kind of knew how to do it. How to manage it. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point because... <clears throat> Yeah, I, I've heard multiple other YouTubers uh, talk about that same same scenario or same approach a little bit, and uh, and there's definitely some advantages to getting a slow start, and and that way, whenever you do make it big, or if you do make it big, you can know how to maximize on it. I guess would be a good way to put it. And the other good thing too was my audience, you know, because a lot of channels that grow quickly they attract the wrong kind of attention. I've never had problems with trolls or you know, even having to moderate the comments, it's not an issue. Right. I mean, I, I very rarely ever even edit the comments or, or do anything with that. I've, I've never had to block anybody ever. You've got me beat. I think I've had to block five people and I've maybe, I've maybe removed a handful of comments. It's not, it's not bad like some other channels or people we know, but, but that is because you're attracting people that are actually interested in what you're doing and not some crazy video that went viral that people went up on your channel that have no intentions of watching or, 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 and that's another reason why I like, I don't ever end my videos by saying 
hey, make sure you subscribe. You know, if you don't want to be here, that's fine. Yeah, fair enough. I, I don't want people on my channel who don't want to be there. Yeah, that's a good point. And then there's a lot of people that don't do that. I do end my videos that way. I think it's more out of habit or I think it started out because what everybody else did. And then it turned into a habit. And I don't know if it's right or wrong or, or indifferent. What I found is it doesn't matter. And then that's probably... Yeah. Uh, that's probably a very, very accurate statement. I think statement. he just likes the way his voice sounds when he <laughs> says it at the end. Well, and I, I, you've touched on it before, and you're own, talking about your own channel. Subscribers means nothing. Nothing. Yeah, they don't. That's, I mean, that's the dumbest metric. I mean, I, I understand why they use it, because there just isn't anything else that's an easy thing to point to that say this channel's better than that channel. The, the subscribers is more of a benefit to them if they're interested in your stuff. that they're, they're alerted when it comes to them, but... For in the big scheme of YouTube, it's all about views. And you don't have to have, I mean, subscribers are maybe some guaranteed views, but uh, it's more of a, more of a service to the subscriber than it is the creator, I sure. guess, because it's all about views. I mean, if you're, if you're wanting to be successful on YouTube, it's about views and interaction. That's what it comes down yep. to. Yep. The only two things, that, there's only two things that matter to the algorithm. Do people click on your video and do they watch it? Yep. View duration. That's, That's the, it. The, the, the biggest number on, on YouTube is view duration. That's what I always try to stress. There. And like, if people like it, they'll like it and they'll subscribe. Those are, so the likes and subscribes are more of a consequence of you doing the first two things, which is getting them to watch to click on the video and to watch most of it. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. I always always get a kick out of people who want to uh, overthink it and, and, and analyze it and go down these roads. And I'm like, yeah, my text always been is two things. You got to have a, a decent thumbnail or a decent title where somebody wants to click on it. And then once they click on it, you got to keep them there. You yep. got to keep them watching. Because at the end of the day, YouTube wants to sell ads. And the longer they watch your video, the more ads they're going to sell. It's, it's that, that simple. And that was something that I learned with YouTube too is that the ads can cost you money. And so recently they've, they've made changes to the platform where, you know, before you used to be able to opt out of mid-roll ads mm -hmm. and it was an option. Well, YouTube decided they were just going to put them on everything. <laughs> and they did it to me. And I was kept getting comments. They had, they people, put one every five minutes or something. Not, oh, yeah. People were like, man, I like your videos, but there's just so many ads. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I, I used to always manually adjust the ad placement so that you didn't have, you know, like I try to keep it to a 10 minutes between ads. I remember you had a community post about this one time. I did. And I said, are you guys seeing this? And people said, oh yeah, we're seeing a lot of ads. And so sure enough, I went back to my old catalog and pff, I never put those there. Yeah. I had uh, one of these podcast videos on, I put up there and I think in an hour and a half podcast, there was 42 ads in it. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's insane. And, and we, we had a discussion about that, about what's the proper amount of ads. And I think every 10 to 15 minutes somewhere in there is, is acceptable. Any more than that's just. And it's different for every audience, you know, it just depends on how you, I don't know. It depends on the attention span as well as of your videos. Each creator has got to do what works for them, right. but that's right. what works yeah, for and me. That, that's a great point is what works for you or what works for Rand or what works for me. It may not work for whoever i mean it would be cool like a lot of people some people do non-monetized videos you know and they make that work they have patreon or whatever and they don't need to make money from adsense uh i'm not in that boat but <laughs> you know my, my take on youtube is not as much youtube's a hobby for me i've been very open about that and the google adsense money just kind of justifies my time is is 
kind of where I'm not trying to get rich off of it. I'm not trying to retire. I'm not trying to make a career out of YouTube, but it, but it is nice to have your time justified. I was trying to think about this. So let's say I made a hundred videos without making any money from YouTube. And let's say, I don't know, six to 10 hours for each video. Let's say six hours. So it's 600, 600 hours. hours worth of work that you didn't get paid for. Right. You know, would most people do that? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. So uh, you kind of had uh, you kind of had a series of videos that really put you on the on the map. Would that be a fair statement? I think so. And that was the uh, the whole will it start? Will it start? So what? I mean, my channel's never had an explosion like that. So what what was that experience like? Well, I guess? let's let's temper that a little bit. Explosion is maybe <laughs> maybe. <laughs> You know what was an explosion? There is a channel called, uh, the guy's called Marty T. I'm sure you've seen this video because everybody's seen it. The Abandoned Excavator. And uh, I think that channel, I think that video has like 25 million views now. I don't know if I have seen this video. And he's from New Zealand. And there was an abandoned excavator on his neighbor's property. And it was a deal where if he could get it running, he could have it. I think it was a Hitachi or something like that. Okay, yeah, it's like almost in a jungle or something. You've seen it, everybody's seen it. And I was just thinking about like the perfect timing of that. So I think at the time he made that video, he had like 60,000 subscribers. So he had a little bit of an audience, right? There's a machine in his neighbor's property for free. That's pretty decent. Yeah. And he got it running and you know, he's pretty good on YouTube. He makes a good video. He's a good presenter, but that thing just blew up. It was everywhere. 25 million views. Isn't it crazy, though, that you never know if that next video you you hit public on is going to be the one, you know what I mean? And I, I don't think I'll ever have one that really is a... Well, you've got a couple of videos over a million views. I, I have you, one now. I know you've got one. The, I mean, my, I think one thing people find surprising with me, my most viewed video on my channel is only 256,000 views. I mean, that's... But you never know. So, like, the first video I ever had that had more than 50,000 views was the one I did about fixing an air dryer that purged all the time. Yep. So... And it was probably a video you thought, I don't know if I'm even going to post this. Yeah, it was... Yeah, I didn't think it was anything. Yeah. And uh, don't worry about him. No, no, he's fine. The uh, We got the dog over there wanting to sneak in and, and see what we got going on. So, but, uh, so, uh, maybe an explosion was the wrong word, but, I mean, you had a series of videos there over the course of six eight months a year or whatever i mean you were growing pretty substantially yeah i think i think i went from ten thousand subscribers to fifty thousand subscribers in about four months yeah and then fifty thousand it took another year to get to a hundred from there that's i mean that's uh, there'd be a lot of people out there that'd be love to be in your boat so sure yeah and that's why i'm not going to complain about it (laughs) because i'm in an enviable position so you will not hear youtube videos where i'm complaining about youtube I just uh, so what was uh, I mean you were fortunate enough through that growth though I mean you gained a lot of good quality subscribers that stuck around and still follow you today it wasn't like you just got a bunch of subscribers come here for one video and left and that's what I was really worried about so we started doing those will it run videos which I had seen other people do those videos like I said Marty T and all those other guys and they got a lot of views and you know Vice Grip Garage is the one that really does a good job with that and. I thought, well, I can do that. You know, right. it's not that Why not crazy. Why not try it? And I did it, and I did get a lot of views out of those videos. And but I was worried about the sustainability of the it. sustainability of that because that's not something. It's very difficult to keep that going. Right. There's right. only three channels I can think of who consistently do just will it run type videos, and you'll see that they 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 box it in very carefully. So it's always really low cost to them. Right. 
Because, I mean, you can't afford to get everything running. Right, right. That's, it's not sustainable. <laughs> a lot of that stuff, there's a reason why it's parked. It was in a junkyard for a reason. <laughs> yeah. there, there's a reason reason why it's parked. I guess uh, D-Boss Garage has had a lot of but he had stuff coming into the uh, junkyard there that he was able to scrap yard. So. And I remember him saying in a video, you know, how kind of how it was kind of a bummer to him that he would work so hard on these project videos because he does a lot of really good project videos, building things or whatever. And then he'd just go to a junkyard and get some piece of crap running and get more views on get that more video. Views, yeah, but it's it's what people, I don't know, it's what, it makes you wonder if it's what people want to see or is it what YouTube pushed or what's the reason behind why it I don't have an answer well, for that. What it did, so. But I could I could agree with his sentiment on that, you know. Yeah, you can you, come in here and, and do an awesome shop project or a very tedious engine rebuild or something, and, and it's like nobody cares, and you go find a piece of crap and put some oil and gas in it and hope for the best. And, and it's still it's still going to the crusher. I mean, yeah. got it running, but big deal. It, it didn't change its, <laughs> you know? didn't change its yeah, outlets. Yeah, it hasn't changed the... So everybody's got a little bit of a, a different take on this. I mean... Uh, Anybody always asks me about doing a YouTube channel, I always encourage them to do it. It's free to start. It's cheap to start. Uh, it's not going to hurt anything to always tell them they need to do it for at least a year before they make a decision because you're not going to have success in the first six, eight months. If you do, it's I – mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't have success, but if you're going to do it right, it's going to be a little bit of a slow mm-hmm. slow build. So I guess kind of wrapping stuff up here, What um, what's your big takeaways from YouTube? Like what's what's been the things that surprised you or disappointed you or if you'd have any advice to anybody that maybe wanted to go down the, down the YouTube route? I don't know. I should – I thought about making a whole video about making videos. Uh, Captain Kleeman did a really good video. I thought about that, about how to make videos – and he went over some Have of the... Have I seen that one? You were in it. <laughs> Days you feel like an idiot today. But yeah. Then, that's probably why I didn't see it, because I lived it. I just, I, just, I just looked at it the other night, because I was, I was going to... He really wants to be in here. Uh, yeah, not a lot of people watched it. I think only 6,000 views or something like yeah. that. And that's tough, because I know he put a lot of work into that video. Right. But he... He has a good video about that. Andrew Camarada has a good video about how some of the camera gear that he uses. Yep. So maybe I should do that. But, yeah, I think anybody should try it or everybody should try it. You know, to, to your point, though, um, fortunately, I think we both got to know several different YouTubers. And, and um, everybody has a different style and uses different equipment. You know, and I don't know two people really do it the same. I mean, even Cleveland and I or even me and Aaron, we we all film a little different. We all edit a little different. Um so it's nice to know what everybody does and you can get tricks from people, but it don't always work for everybody. Well, and you make a good point too, which is something that I've learned recently, which I should have learned long ago, which is that nobody from YouTube is going to help you. Yeah. I mean, there's no published guidebook that says, here's how you do YouTube. You're totally on your own to learn that. So the best thing you can do if you want to start a YouTube channel is find other people who are in the same position as you who are also trying to do YouTube right. and figure it out together. Yep. And we've been pretty fortunate that with Derby down there where we are. You know, we got several YouTubers right there and we kind of bounce ideas off of her. Cleveland's like, I tried this. It didn't seem to work. And, you know, vice versa. This seems to be working for me. And then you got Wade over there that we're just taking notes on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Wait, that's... what not to do. <laughs> He's got a personality that can't be replicated, though. No, you know? and, uh, I mean, you could do all the video style the way he does it, but you're never going to match and, that. And what you see on YouTube is the toned-down version. I mean, <laughs> Wade, Wade, in, Wade in real life is... You know, the, my, my big thing is, the biggest thing that's coming out of YouTube for me is some of the awesome people I've met 
YouTube does a really good job of kind of aligning like-minded people and, and, and meeting some cool people. And, I, and I've, I've been blessed with some pretty cool opportunities out of YouTube as well. And I think you've had some similar experiences. I think the cool thing for YouTube is to feel like maybe you're part of a community of people who are in that same boat. Right. You know, t- television, like traditional television, does such a terrible job of representing people who are working in the trades. You know, we're all taught that. I, I think one of the big differences between YouTube and television is people can watch us and relate and think, I can do that. Sure. You know, you watch a guy on TV and it's out of your grasp. You know what I mean? I just don't like, you know, like, especially for mechanics, you know, on TV, we're taught that all mechanics are these guys with sleeve tattoos and they all look like, what's his name from Orange County Choppers? Oh, yeah, yeah. They only got into to doing mechanic work because it was that or go to jail, you know, and stereotypical. Uh, exactly. And, you know, YouTube is the first place where I ever realized that, oh, normal people, people. do this work. <laughs> And they're successful at it. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, this may be me for me in the construction industry is it's uh, I'm always like learning and, and seeing different techniques and stuff and, and seeing how people do stuff in different part of the countries and different part of the world. Because people overseas like Lord Buck, for example, they can mechanic. It's not that they mechanic in a different way, but the mechanic on different stuff that we don't have around here. So it's just really, really cool seeing different stuff, I guess, and different methods. Oh, yeah, I get so that's another cool thing too. Like only sixty percent of my viewers are in the U.S. Yeah, which is crazy. So I think I just looked at it the other night. It's like eight percent Canada, eight percent UK, and then I think four percent Sweden, and then it goes down the line from there: Australia, South Africa, places like that. Mostly English-speaking countries, but yeah, I don't know what my exact numbers are, but it's uh, it's it's probably about sixty forty as well. As far as, I got a bunch of people in Canada for some reason. I just assumed it would be a hundred percent American, yeah. you know, because it's so specific to our geography. But yep. that's not the case at all. And I get a lot of comments and questions from people like, like when I was working on that Oliver tractor, you know, recently. These people from the UK, they're like, well, a gas-powered tractor? What is that? <laughs> it blew their mind, you know, because everything's diesel over yeah, there. Yeah. It, which we don't think about that stuff. You know, in the construction world, but there's always this big debate about footers and this, that, and the other. And it's, uh, it's like I get why they do what they do, but I want to know why they do what they do. And it gives you a chance to have that opportunity in that conversation that you wouldn't have sure. a chance to have. So, Man, I watched – I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch a show called This Old House with my – with oh, my yeah, grandpa. That was with Bob Vila, wasn't it's it? still on TV. I still watch it sometimes. Yeah. And they did an episode. I think they did a whole season where they went to England and did a house. Really? It was back in the maybe the late eighties or early nineties when the those people were a lot younger. But it was fascinating. You can still see some of the old videos on YouTube where they go back there. I'm and, uh, that. I remember watching that show. It's totally different the way that they do things over there. You know, they use a lot of plaster and they use yep. clay tiles for their roofs and stuff like that. I get the comment all the time. I can't believe you Americans build out of toothpicks. I'm like, I can't buck the system. It's kind of what we, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I can't believe you still build out of blocks. But I mean, here in Illinois, you can't turn around without hitting a tree. So <laughs> why wouldn't we use them? Yeah. And, and, it, and that goes back to use your local resources and, and, and different stuff like that. So Sure. Well, Wes, I cannot thank you enough for uh, having us out. I'll Jeez, is sh- that it? <laughs> Seems like it went by pretty quickly. Well, you've been talking for over an hour. <laughs> and see, you were worried you wouldn't make it. So. Well, see, that's like I said, when you're... 
interested in something, it's easy to it talk easy about. It's easy to it. do. Uh, we will be sure to uh, link your channel down in the description. Watch West Work is the name of the channel. Um, I've been hooked for about two years now. I think I stumbled across in there. I was working on an injection pump on that, on that welder. I think you had about 35,000 subscribers whenever I found you. So that would have been about a year and a half ago, maybe. I'm blown away by the the success that I've had on YouTube. It's just amazing. Well, it's uh, it's well-deserved. You do a very good job. I think you're very relatable. Uh, it's real life. It's um, it's like it's like we said before. I think somebody can... You do a good enough job explaining somebody can watch your video and replicate it and do it. You, you show the reality as a mechanic, and not every day is a success. Um, a lot of days are not successful. <laughs> most days aren't successful. So. But, uh, but no, man, it's been, a, I think we, we learned some things about Wes we didn't know. It was, uh, it was awesome. I can't thank you enough for being yeah, I've been, I've been a little reluctant to talk about my education just because I didn't think it really added anything to the channel. You know, a lot of people have speculated, and, and I'm sure guessed correctly right. about my background is. But I guess I, I avoided it in the past because I didn't want it to seem like I was being this know-it-all. Right. Like, oh, I can't do that because I didn't go to some fancy university or whatever. I didn't go to a fancy university either. Right. I got a piece of paper. All it says is I can do well, math. Well, I'm sure some of the stuff that uh, I've always said that experience is one thing you can't teach. And I'm sure some of the things you learned along the way has obviously been very beneficial. But, I, you know, I went to two years of schooling with Mac, or I went to two years of uh, diesel school uh, with Lincoln Tech. I learned more the first two weeks on the job than I did at that school. Not, not that I would ever do anything different, but real life experiences, uh, real life experiences is, is where it's at. That's where you learn. That's where you build your repertoire. That's where you get your, you, you kind of go from and, and you can't teach that. You got to earn it. I don't know how else to say it. That's kind of what it is. So. Right. And it doesn't happen overnight. No, it does not hope it, every day is a learning experience. I mean, I, and that's kind of, you got to approach it that way. Sometimes I kind of, you know, it bums me out that YouTube wasn't around when I was younger, yeah. you know, because I think I would have been, uh, it'd be weird to think about where I would be at now if I could yeah. do YouTube when yeah. I was 25, you know. The first story, you, you told a story earlier while we were eating lunch that you remember seeing the first iPhone ever. That's the first time I ever knew of YouTube is my brother got an iPhone and it was the turtle man <laughs> fishing for those turtles. I was, I was oh, like, yeah. Well, like, the, I mean, the first time I ever saw a YouTube video was like the David after dentist thing. It was like the first <laughs> viral video yeah. that ever came around. I was like, what is this? This crap. Yeah. And I kind of learned about YouTube through forums. Oh, so like, yeah. Forums used to be the way that everybody would, would communicate, you know? So like I was pretty active on a machinist forum for a long time and then... You know, I would see people come on the forum and say, hey, I've got this YouTube channel. And then pretty soon their channel would get big and then they, we wouldn't see them anymore. And I'm like, oh, maybe this YouTube thing maybe is. I should follow his path. <laughs> maybe there's something to this, you know. It, it, in all seriousness, though, it is uh, it is a lot of fun. And uh, I mean, there's some headaches that come along with it. But it, in the, the ultimate gain from it is, is a very positive, very, very positive thing. Well, I mean, you got to think about, too, like I live in a rural area that, there aren't a hundred thousand people within a hundred miles of here. No, and the opportunities and the information you're able to gain from it, uh, I don't know if there's any other platform that could provide that. Is uh, what and YouTube is a true community. I, I know you made a comment on uh, one video. You can mention which video it was or not, and said you're never more appreciative of your subscribers after oh, that video yeah. because they kind of had your back on it, you know. And uh, which proves the community concept of of, of YouTube. So I just say that. What I've learned from watching other people's channels is that I appreciate my subscribers more. <laughs> I mean, I do. I got great, 
great viewers, great subscribers. And when I ask for feedback, I get it, and it's helpful. So one question I got for you is um, your channel is about twice the size of mine, I believe, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, um, you know, I've got guys that have been with me from the very beginning. Like, I could probably tell you, I'd say out of the first thousand subscribers I got, probably 50 or 60 of them still comment on every video I post. And, you know, the bigger the channel gets, the more comments you get. And it just, it, it bothers me a little bit that one of those guys are going to follow through the crack, that they've been the effort to do that all the way through. And I try my hardest. To, that's my motivation to keep up with comments is to make sure those guys that have been there forever still get recognized. And Because I am appreciative to them. You know, they've almost become family, even though I've not met most of them. So sure. do you find that struggle as well? Yeah, I really struggle with it. But, but you never <clears throat> give up. Man, I take the comments really seriously, though. You know, in my opinion, if you took the time to watch my video yeah, and I to agree. leave me a comment, it's my obligation to, at a minimum, read that comment. And if there's a question, answer it and, you know, try to interact with the people that way. Like just the last time I posted a video, I had a guy, he left me a comment, you know, maybe six or seven hours after I posted the video. And he says, oh, man, I hate when I'm late to these videos because... There's already so many comments, you know, and I typed out, I said, don't worry. I read all the comments. Right. It's not going to be lost. It's gotten really tough to keep up with it. I get somewhere on the order of 1500 comments a week. Sometimes it's more like 2000 comments a week. And, uh, yeah, see, I do I'm, my best. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more than that. And it's a, but you post a lot more videos than yeah, I do. Yeah, that, that's yeah. You post about once a week. I post every other day. I'm about five to six thousand a week, somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't know how you can keep up that workflow. <sighs> but it's 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 kind of what you say. I feel like I owe it to the people watching because um, they went out of their time to watch my stuff. They went out of their time to comment. So the least I can do is find time to respond to them. Yeah. Um, but that's a lot of work every other day. I mean. I struggle to get one a week out. I really do. And I have always struggled with that. Well, yeah. And, 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 and I've you, got a million ideas for videos. I mean, <laughs> I've heard other com content creators, you know, say that, oh, oh, you know, I just don't know what to make a video about. And they've got right. writer's block or whatever. That's not a problem here. Yeah. yeah. There's, it's the time issue. Exactly. If I had unlimited time, I could make unlimited videos. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I don't know. I don't. Something's going to have to give there as I keep growing. I don't know what it is but it it bothers me that i can't return the same respect is that a good way to good way to put it and especially i appreciate every subscriber i got but especially the guys that have been there for every video for the course of two years sure um, that's um it weighs on me i'm not gonna lie it i've got a me. guy uh he also has a youtube channel e it's called eformance engineering perry <laughs> He's been with me since the very first video that I posted. Really? And he always leaves good comments and helps me out. And I've talked to him on the phone. He's the one that helped me kind of pick out these cameras. cameras. And he's real knowledgeable about that kind of stuff. So that kind of interaction, you can't yeah. you can't put a yeah. price on yeah. that. Well, yeah. I mean, some of, uh, yeah, I could ditto that on a lot of different things. So, I mean, speaking about comments and going down that road, everybody's got a little take. And, and, and it affects everybody a little bit different. But obviously doing this we know we're going to get the negative comments you're going to get the why didn't you do this the monday morning quarterbacks or the i'll come out and say it you're an idiot comment um how do you go about addressing those or i just try to turn it into something humorous yeah that's uh, that's usually my take on it you know so if somebody leaves me a, a negative comment you know which happens a lot but i'll say it's it's not 
the norm. No, no, you it's know, not. For every negative comment, there's a thousand good comments. Absolutely. But yeah, I just try to turn it around and make it, I, I don't ever attack people. You know, that's childish. You know, they are entitled to their opinion, but I just try to make it humorous. My, uh, my, f- my two favorite responses is I get every video I get, uh, that's not what let's dig would do, or you should watch let's dig 18. And I always respond with never heard of them. Who's that? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a real problem with that on YouTube, which is that like, you know, the, everyone's watching those big channels and they think that that's the only people that can do that kind of stuff. I remember I watched a video where a guy made some, he made these little tool organizers that he put on his, on his bench. And he, there must have been a thousand comments on there. You copied Adam Savage from Mythbusters, yeah. you know. And Adam Savage was built for YouTube. I mean, he has a huge following. Every time his name is mentioned in a video, it gets a million views. And he did indeed make a video about that two years after the video that this guy yeah, had the, posted. Yeah, the, the time date was, yeah. And every time he, every reply to the comment was, well, look at the timestamp, you know. I made this video two years before he made his video. I'm not copying him. <sighs> But people just, that's their mindset, you know. My my second favorite response is, especially if they comment on an older video and they tell me I should do something different. I'm like, all right, let me hop in my time machine. Right. (laughs) Well, you know. And and, and to your point, it's just having fun with it. You know, I feel like I want to acknowledge them so they, they, they know it was there, but. It, uh, the one thing that aggravates me a little bit, and it don't get under my skin, but it kind of aggravates is whenever somebody can have such a strong opinion about something whenever you gave them so little bit of information in a video. Well, so I guess there's a few things I don't do. I, I've no longer answer questions that were clearly answered in the video. Yes. Oh, so yes. that's, that's one thing that I've stopped doing. So if, if you asked a question and I didn't, and I didn't answer it in the comments, it's because I already covered it's it in, in the video. video. And I wish YouTube, this, if anybody from YouTube is listening, which I doubt, but I wish they could give you a list of like stationary replies, like answering video or thanks for watching, where you could just you know click A, B, or C, because uh, you could give a lot more responses to. You know what I think would be the best thing that YouTube could do would be to make the closed captions searchable. Yeah. Because there's so many times where, because like my videos, a lot of times they're nonlinear, and I go off on weird sidetracks right. and stuff, and people are like, oh you mentioned something in this video and I can't find it. And I'm like, man, I can't find it either. Cause yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. And I don't know how to search for that. And yeah, that's a good point. That way any word said in that video or any topic or whatever could be, could right. Be that's where, that's where typed word communities like forums have a huge advantage over YouTube because the dialogue is searchable. Right. And right. with YouTube, once you say it, it's lost. It's lost. Yeah. Unless you have it in the title or in the little tags or whatever, there's no way to know where it is. But, but I think it is important to, to uh, point out, you know, for some reason, the negative comments get more conversation around them than the positive ones, but they are a very, very, very small percentage of everything that, uh, and usually, you know, like within the first 24 hours, that's when you're going to get your good comments. Yep. That's when your subscribers are going to watch the people that want to be there. Right. It's the comments that come after that, that are usually the trouble. (laughs) And you know, it's part of it too, is people stumble into your channel and they don't really know what it's about. Yeah. And it takes them a while to, to come around. Yeah. And you got to give people the, you got to give people some time. Yeah. And you know, you can always tell the, the people that are new to the channel that, uh, don't know the history or the projects that went on in the past or the backstory. Cause it, some series or some videos, it's hard to just jump in the middle of right. You don't know some of the backstory to it. Well, you don't want to just jump on people right away. Oh, made, you're, you're an idiot. Go away. You know, I've, I've made that mistake before. Uh, Cause if you give people time and they watch a few of your other videos, they'll figure out what you're about and see that you're not an idiot. Yeah. 
and they'll come to their own conclusion. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm guilty of that one. I can't, uh, I can't, I can't deny that fact, but I've, I've learned from it, you know, kind of, I don't know, you get in the comment answering mode and you're like, Ugh, this, you know, and then you don't know what space they were in whenever they typed that comment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I always try to just kind of just skip over them. Yeah. And I don't delete them. I leave now, them do there. You, do you heart, do you heart every one of them, whether it's positive or, or do you? I try to try to, well, I mean, I try to do that within the, for the first 24 hours after the videos posted. After that, it gets a little tough to, to keep up with them all. Keep up with them all. Yeah. And what sucks now is the way that YouTube's kind of changed the way that the studio interaction works. So you can see the f- comments easily that people leave for you, but then if they reply to your oh, reply, it's so it, hard to find way, those. The only way you'll see it is if you turn your notifications on yeah, or you scroll back down through and see if the numbers change. They got to fix that. I mean, the comments have been broken for a long time. It used to work way better before Google got involved with YouTube. So in the old days when it was just YouTube, the comments were awesome. And they had, like, translating programs so you could translate from other languages. Right. And you, Google scaled that way back. Yeah, that, that's one of my biggest things is, is if you answer somebody and they answer you back, unless you just so happen to see the notification that YouTube sends you, you're, it's not that we're not paying attention to you. It's Oh, and then especially since they got rid of the private messaging function, like, yeah. there's no good way to... You know, because I get people that comment on my channel all the time. Oh, you should reach out to this person. Reach out to that person. You know, like I have some kind of magic wand <laughs> that allows me to communicate with other YouTubers. Like, I don't have any better chance of getting a hold of these I've people than you do. I've heard that magic wand before. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we have a your YouTube concrete creator, so there's a special phone book where all yeah, of our there's no. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a special way to do that. It's, uh, yeah, I you know, and some people all assume since we create content that we're all friends too, which a lot of us are, but that's not the, that's not the case by a long stretch. Well, that's another thing that I've learned too, is that you, you need to be very careful about judging the way other people make content because, you know, different strokes for different folks yeah. Yeah. and it doesn't matter. You know, there's no reason for you to go onto another person's channel and say, this isn't the way I would do it. Right, right. That's ridiculous. The, the only thing I would say to that is is, is one thing that um, gets my attention a little bit is whenever somebody judges your content or somebody judges your work that's never actually done your work. Yeah, that's tough. And that's, you know, you can't have an honest opinion about something you've never actually done. So one thing I will say, too, though, that's that's different now since the channel's gotten bigger. I have to be more careful about where I what I do and where I go as far as interacting with other people's channels, mm-hmm. like especially live streams. I feel really bad about live streams because I watch a lot of smaller channels, live streams. Yep. And if I comment on their live streams, people just go crazy yeah, and they, they want to talk to me. And I don't feel like that's fair to the person doing the live stream. You know, that's their time to interact with their subscribers. Yeah, that's tough because you want to acknowledge and say hi, you're there, but you don't want to take away from what they what they got going on. Um, again, I'm not near as big as what you are, but I, I kind of understand what you're, what you're saying there a so, little bit. I mean, I still watch the live streams, but I try to limit my interactions so that that doesn't happen to people. Right. And I leave, I leave comments on a lot of people's videos cause that does help. Yes. You know, yep. if, if people see that, you, that a big channel is watching a small channel, it kind of makes them, see, it I, lends some credibility to them. I kind of struggle with that a little bit. I'm interested on your opinion about that. If it's a smaller channel. I comment for sure because I know for a fact what that does for them. Yep. But if it's a bigger channel like yours, sometimes I'm a little more reluctant to leave a comment because I know that's worked for you to 
to to hit that comment. Does that make sense? Yeah, but don't feel bad about it. I like <laughs> I like reading the comments. So put, bring them on. Yeah. I, I like reading them too, but it uh, I don't know. I of course I and I will say every time I've ever commented on one of your videos, you've always you've always responded to it or at least liked it or whatever. Which um, if if YouTube got rid of the comment section, I would be very sad. Yeah, that's I would it. Do. Yeah, that, that that's his pastime <laughs> over here. But you know, the flip side of that is is you know I've learned valuable stuff from commenters. I've they've pointed me in in I mean the the the, the things that can be gained. There is a fair there. Some of the people in the comments, you're like, why are these people watching me? Because they are way smarter and way better. At some stuff that oh, I'm yeah. attempting to do. Every time I work on a vehicle, you know, because. And whatever comes in the door is what gets worked on, you know, right. and I may or may not have experience with it. And I'll get these people like, oh, you know, I, I spent 25 years at the dealership working on this thing and I know every nut and bolt. And yeah. I'm thinking, boy, you must be disappointed by my video because it is not good. <laughs> come, come join the struggle bus with us. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and I'm thinking, well, how far did you make it into this video? You, and I'm sure you've got some of these comments too, but the flip side of this is I get this comment that, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, or I'm this big corporate CEO. I've never done this work. I'm never going to do this work, but I find it absolutely fascinating what you're doing. You know Isn't what I mean? that crazy? Yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, I don't know, it's kind of, I don't know if it's weird or flattering or humbling. It's still or... strange for me to think that people would be watching my video to watch me instead of the work that I'm doing. Right. I'm still not sure that's really the case. I, I think it is. You know, one th one thing that stuck out with me is whenever we were in Texas, uh, we did a live stream with uh, Cowboy Car Crushing. First time I ever met the guy. He's Wade's long lost brother. The guy's crazy. <laughs> and, and we were just talking about things in general and in uh, he says, you know, you know, you crush a car so many different ways, yada, yada, yada. And I, and I made the comment. I said, I think a lot of people come to your channel for a video or a project, but if they like you and your style, they'll stick around for you. And it don't matter what you're doing, they'll keep watching. And he says, yeah, the best comment I ever got is I come here for the car crushing, but I stayed for the cowboy. Sure. And I think that's, I think your loyal subscribers, you could be rebuilding the computer, but they're going to watch it because it's you, not because of what you're doing. Right. But that's also a trap. And I want to be very careful of that not to get lazy. Right. Because. And that goes back to the conversation we had earlier about always trying to advance your channel, your style, your equipment, uh, yeah, you know, moving forward with it. Exactly. YouTube does not. I'm really happy with my channel and where it's at right now. And if I could just keep it exactly where it is right now, I would be totally happy. You are so, it's so ironic you said that. I've said this a couple of times. I, I feel like if I could get to 100,000 subscribers and just like put a timestamp on it to where it just froze. I feel like that'd be the perfect little community. But that's not reality. No. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. Right. And that's, that's true for any business. You know, you can always tell a business that has stopped trying to advance. You know, it just has that feeling right. about it. And it's the same thing with the YouTube channel. Yep. If you can tell when the creator is not putting their heart into it. I think, um, and, I, and I'm not picking on him for no no stretch of the imagination because he still has a good channel, but Ryan with How Farms Works. You know, he was the big farming channel for a long time and just kind of kept going along. I think he kind of fell into a little bit of the stagnant trap and, and some of these other farming channels went past him and kind of forced him to breathe new life into it. So the, I guess the moral of that story was you need to, whether you're on top or you're on bottom, you need to keep trying to advance yourself a little bit. Well, I think the big, the big one that stands out for me, and I, I'm sure it doesn't affect him at all, but the channel AVE, you know, he, he used to do really long 
teardown videos and he put a lot of effort into those and he would go out and do adventures and stuff like that. And I don't really know what his channel's about now. <laughs> Mountain biking or something. I don't, I, <laughs> I, I all of his I've, videos are really short. They're in some kind of crazy gibberish that I can't understand anymore. I've watched a handful of his older videos. I don't know if I've seen any of his new Man, stuff. I was a big AVE fanboy for a long time when he would get into that industrial equipment and tear it down and show how it worked. And I love those videos. And then he just kind of doesn't do that anymore. You know, and that brings up another point of, I think you can change direction slightly with the channel, but I think you have to stay in the same realm of what you're doing. You know what I mean? I, yes. You can't go from machining to mountain biking. You're, 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 you gotta have, you gotta do with that within reason. Yeah. It's, it's tough, especially for me because I'm not a very focused person, but you got to stay within your wheelhouse. Right. Because, well, and you know, there's a, there's a trap where you could try, you could get outside of your realm of knowledge. Like I'm not going to make a video about pouring concrete <laughs> or, or tape and drywall because it would be a, an, a, a disaster. a disaster and people would tear me apart because I don't know what I'm doing. I could get it done, but it wouldn't be pretty. Go watch somebody who knows what they're doing. So I want, uh, I want to hit on one other thing else here, Wes, before we wrap up. And that is, uh, we talked about how YouTube's a motivation to complete projects and, and, and how YouTube's almost furthering your education because before you speak on camera, you find yourself researching. And I, and I do the same thing, to be honest with you. I'm over here Googling before I film a little little segment just to make sure I got my facts straight. Because some of these things are just assumptions. And if you're not, you, well, one, you want to put knowledgeable information out there. But two, uh, you're trying to prevent 15,000 comments of that's not right. Yeah, if you screw it up. They will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. The comments will come. That's good. I mean, that's a good thing. But uh, yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. YouTube has forced me to be better. Well, it's kind of a it's kind of a both ways. So on the one hand, I feel like I make a lot of mistakes when I'm doing YouTube videos because I'm distracted by the camera and my brain just right. it can't focus on the work that I'm doing. And you'll see it a lot of times I'm you know, I'll make dumb mistakes, put things on backwards or thread the wrong size bolt but, in or right. whatever and just dumb stuff that I would never do normally, but it does force you to slow down, think about what you're doing. And you can't tell thousands of people on the internet how to do something unless you really understand how to do it yourself. The one thing that comes to my mind is whenever I was working on a Kubota engine, I've bolted and unbolted a thousand EGR valves. And then I started rambling on about what an EGR valve does. And I'm like, wait a minute, let's back this up a little bit and, you know, and kind of see what its real purpose is in life. And then, so I Googled, EGR valve, what it does, I filmed a little segment, and then guess what? I forgot to put the gasket on the EGR valve. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's one that sticks out of my mind. I, I bought this Cub Cadet lawnmower. I still have it. And like there, in the video, I'm looking at the tag that says Kohler, and I said, it's got a Briggs & Stratton engine. <laughs> what? <laughs> and people were pretty nice. They were like, that's no Briggs & Stratton. <laughs> And it's still up there. You can go see it. As, as, as my wife would say, you know what I meant. Right. You know what, <laughs> know I, mean? what I meant. Oh, man. But, was... but the flip side of that, you get something in here in the shop and you're doing a video on it. It's kind of motivation to get that project done so you can complete the video and get it out there. I mean, I've, well, Aaron, man behind the scenes over here forces me too, but I, it, it, uh, it kind of, it's, it's motivation to get a dirt project done or get a shop project done so you can get that all wrapped up and, and move yeah. on to the next one. So that if you're, for people who out there who might be thinking about starting a YouTube channel, in the case that thing's still recording. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> See you, Red the, be- the best YouTube videos follow 
a structure, a, th- a three-act right. story structure. You set up, you have some minor conflicts, and then you have a resolution. I agree 1,000%. People, humans are conditioned to follow that structure. It don't have to be a catastrophe in the middle. It don't have to be anything dramatic. Right. But it just... There's always a setback. There's always a setback. It's in, you don't need to overemphasize that. You just need to portray that. And I think that's why, at least for me, repair videos, will it start videos, diagnostic videos, they fit that template perfectly. But the problem is if you miss one of those steps, it really messes up the video and it kind of... Just doesn't feel right. It kills right. it for you. Right. It's like it's like you watched the first half of a movie and you don't know how it ends. Right. Yeah. Or you started on the sep- second episode and didn't realize there was the first. Not to pick on anybody, but Warren, uh, Western truck and tractor, he's really bad about that. You know, he just turns the camera on and he works until the battery dies, and then that's the video. <laughs> you know. I've, yeah, I've watched. Uh, I've watched uh, some of his his stuff. He's a good mechanic, but his. Uh, you can tell mechanic and pays his bills, not YouTube. Yes. And, and, and I think that's one thing we've got to stress a little bit, at least in my case. YouTube's the hobby I do along with my real job. So if stuff's going wrong or something else needs my attention, YouTube's the last thing on the list. So uh, in, in the nicest way possible, be thankful you got the video you got because right. that was, um, it could have been nothing, I guess. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you never know how that YouTube lottery is going to work. The one you worked hard and make that polished pr- presentation, it might get very few views. And the crappy one you throw together at the last minute might be the and, kicker. And that's what the internet knows you by, is, is that one right there. I've got one video. It's the first video I ever did on my trench and bucket. I filmed it, uploaded it on YouTube. It was cold. It was a nasty day. I wasn't in the mood to film. And uh, I almost didn't even post it. I think it's one of my top three videos right now. Isn't that crazy? You just then, never know. Then you got these other videos that you work and work and work on, and you're like, oh, this is a good video. And it's like, eh. I was talking to J.C. Smith. You know, he does repair videos, and he, he, he buys and sells and fixes up trucks. Mm-hmm. And his highest viewed video is where he goes to an Amish sawmill. Yeah. That's the and same just, with the chipper guy. I, yeah. I don't know what the... For some reason, that was what people wanted to watch. And it's like SOT Metalworks. His uh, he does some awesome metal signs. Awesome metal signs. His highest viewed videos is, is uh, mushroom hunting. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it does. So, well, Wes, we're gonna have to wrap this one up, man. I can't thank you enough enough for your time. Well, if, uh, you're very welcome. We'll have to uh, do this again. Thanks for sharing a little bit about uh, kind of your life and how you ended up being how Watch Wes works. Again, we'll link you down in the description. And uh, you guys go go over and check out Wes's channel. It's uh, absolutely awesome. You do a good job with the mechanic and the YouTube and the, the whole nine yards. So, well, thank you. Yep, thanks for thanks for having us on. And uh, we had Aaron over here sitting yep. in for Jason. He was he was actually pretty quiet. Wes. I did. I stayed real quiet. Yeah, this for is... the record, Wes. That line never leaked. <laughs> he may have bought a new one and put a new one on, but it never leaked. I believe you. <laughs> We may have I like a, Wes. We, we may have a whole video on this. So, all right, guys, we got to wrap it up. Thanks for right. thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.